And um, any of you that can join us on camera, that would be really welcome to help create a feeling of community. Um, if you're not in a place where you can get on camera, then that's okay. But um, if you can join us on camera, that would be great. And um, so we have, um, that was our Zazen um, sitting. Um, and um, I wanted to um, move us into the next section, which is uh, the, the Dharma talk. And um, I wanted to thank um, Eugen for being our host this evening and for keeping us all um, um, going forward here with the, the structure and being our um, volunteer here with Young Urban Zen. And um, yeah, so um, I'm just curious, um, how, how was that? Um, we just sat Zazen and I uh, talked talk to you through a little bit of, um, of um, instruction, just some of the ways that we sit, but any comments? Was that, how did, how, how did that feel to just be sitting and breathing? That it's like your only responsibility on the planet. Um, how, how was that for you? Um, how was this sit for you? Risa is giving me two thumbs up. So that um, was, um, looks like pretty positive there. Um, and someone says, felt hard, it was rusty. Yeah, I recognize that. You know, when I first started to sit um, at Zen Center here, it was back in 2007. And I I walked out of here and I felt like I had found the machine in the, in the gym that was like the machine I was worst at. And, but I knew that it was like the machine that was keeping all of the other muscle groups from working together. And so I was like, I need to keep doing that. Man, I'm bad at it. But that was my initial um, reaction to it. But um, yeah, so welcome to Young Urban Zen. It's good to have you here. And um, my name is Michael McCord. I'm the director of San Francisco Zen Center City Center. And um, I'm a priest here. And um, when I first came here, we didn't have Young Urban Zen, but I really wish we did. I would have been really engaged in this. Um, and tonight I wanna to talk a little bit about, in case you saw the, um, the promo that went out was about quote unquote, the shadow side. Um, you know, what is this um, thing we call the shadow side? You've probably heard that um, before in regard to like terminology, um, kind of sounds like, you know, the dark side or, um, you know, the, um, some, something that's about ourselves that isn't so positive. And, um, yeah, I think that this is something that, um, Zen has a really interesting way of approaching and talking about. And so that's why, um, I wanted to talk about it this evening and, and engage you in this conversation here. So we'll have, um, just a little presentation on this, and then we can talk together for, um, however long we want to afterward with Q and A and, um, talk a little bit about this. But I mean, I think every one of us knows something, um, that they would relate to about themselves that they want to change. I mean, I, I know that there's some things about me where I'm just like, I really wish that I kind of wasn't that way. Um, and, and my life maybe would even be easier or better or more fun or more exciting or less painful if I wasn't whatever way. But it oftentimes, if you are a human being, you will notice that we do the same things over and over and over and over again in our lives. And we're just like, when is this going to stop? When is this going to be different? 
You know, I can remember being that way when I was 10 and I'm still that way. What's the deal? What's happening? I can even remember talking to a person one time in my mid thirties and they were in their mid seventies and they said, you know, Michael, I'm still dealing with the stuff I was dealing with when I was in my twenties and thirties. And I was like, no, you know, kind of like, by the time I'm in my seventies, I'm going to have it all solved. That's not going to happen. What do you mean? You know, you, you can't be insecure and be 72. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you'll, you'll figure that out at least by 40 or 50, right? And it's like, well, you know, what, so what, what does this mean to have a shadow side? And is it just like, oh, well, this is just me and I'm going to suffer the rest of my life? I mean, what, what, what is it that we're actually talking about? And so uh, the analogy I like to use is, um, and maybe some of you that have heard me talk before have heard this analogy, but um, I liken it to going to the grocery store with a newborn or let's say a nine-month-old. And I'm going to the grocery store with a nine-month-old and, um, you know, um, put the nine-month-old in a shopping cart and I'm going to the frozen food section to get some peas. So I'm heading into the frozen food section to get some peas. And as soon as we get into the frozen food section, the nine-month-old, because it's a little bit chilly and because maybe there's some fans blowing and it just kind of seems a little unsettling, starts to cry. Kind of like, no, I don't want to be in the frozen food section. And I'm there as an adult, just, you know, pushing the cart. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no problem. This is just the frozen food section. What, what, there's, it's, it's okay. So what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do is you don't spend two or three minutes explaining to the baby how come there's no reason to be upset. Because that is pointless. The baby's just having a reaction. I don't like this. So here I go. I'm having my baby reaction. I'm nine months old. I don't know much about this planet. It's just scary. And you know instinctively by looking at the baby and being with the baby that over the next three, four years, the baby will start to understand that there's no reason to be afraid in the frozen food section. And they will gain some understanding about this. They will grow in some sort of way and, and that'll be okay. And you don't go to war with the baby. You don't argue with the baby. You don't try to rationalize and explain to the baby how not to be that way. What do you do? You make space for the baby. You rock the baby. That's all you can do. The baby didn't choose to be scared. The baby didn't project plan to be unsettled. The baby was just having its reaction. And I'll guarantee you that when your shadow side comes up, whether it's fear or anxiety or jealousy or future tripping or, you know, whatever it might be that has to do with um, things that just come forth for you, that you struggle with, um, you didn't choose those things. And you certainly didn't project plan how you could get there and be like that. You didn't think, I really want to be an anxious person. I'm going to do a nine-month plan, and I'm going to figure out how to have anxiety. No. You came by it honestly. It is coming up from some deep well of just all the millions and billions of things that make you, you. And you're inheriting that moment, and that's just how you're feeling. And you aren't going to have um, any success trying to explain it to yourself as to how come you shouldn't feel that way. 
And you can't expect that you're going to turn around that giant tanker on a dime and just pivot and go 90 degrees in another direction. There's too much momentum. That's just happening in the moment. And so that's what I want to talk about this evening is what do we do with the shadow side and all the things that we inherit that we don't necessarily want to be that way about ourselves, but they keep happening. And here I am, I'm a procrastinator and I'm procrastinating again, or I'm never on time. And here I am late to the meeting again, or I always get anxious whenever X happens and I wish I wouldn't, or, you know, these are things you know, anger and, and dealing with a temper and how come I always blow up at people or how come I'm very defensive or, you know, there's just it's an infinite number of things that we might want to have different. But here's the paradigm or at least the context that I want to talk in from a Zen context is that millions and billions and trillions of infinite things, causes and conditions would have to come together for you to have one moment of consciousness. I mean, think of all the things that would have to come together that have to be in harmony with the universe to you to, for you to have one moment of consciousness. Just us sitting here and being able to speak a language and for us to hear and communicate and to sit upright and to understand and to be communicating ideas and thoughts and concepts and analogies. I mean, just one moment of consciousness and all the things that are going on in your body and the emotions and your eyesight, how miraculous are eyes and ears and translating all of those sounds into language, into the brain and forming those into thoughts. You are already incredibly aligned with the universe. And the process of the Zen process of, of Zen is really looking at the unveiling of who our true nature is of who we really are. And it's, it's talked about as like taking away a shroud or a veil, the Zen practice. And working with the shadow side and our relationship to it will determine how much we will calm and settle and ground ourselves so we can inhabit our true nature, who we really are, our, our, our authentic self, if you want to find another way to put it. You ever hear the, someone say, you know, just be authentic, you know? And you're like, hmm, not really exactly sure if I'm totally being authentic right now. What's authentic? What's the real me? Well, oftentimes there's so many other things that are clouding what we're, who we are, thoughts and worries and um, stories we tell ourselves and all the rest of it, that really what is, our true nature is kind of hidden from us. And so what I wanted to talk about is how do I develop a healthy relationship with my shadow side? What is a healthy relationship with a shadow side? So I want to talk about three, we'll say four different points. Um, and one of them is hosting. One of them is loving who you are. And who am I? And the third one is, I didn't choose this. So then what? Now, in regard to hosting, we even had this ceremony in um, Soto Zen called Sajiki. And if any of you have ever been around the temple at City Center during Sajiki, we actually hold it during Halloween time. And um, Sajiki um, is a ceremony that when we first did it, and I was new to Zen, I, I really didn't relate to it much. 
but I've really come to, uh, to love it because it actually talks about the shadow side and the attitude that we approach things with. So it kind of sets the context for what we do with the things that we're averse to. Remember when we were sitting Zazen and I interrupted and just gave a little prompt and said, if something comes up that you're averse to, see if you can make space around it. See if you can make space around it. And in Sajiki, um, it's, it's the time in Japan where people um, offer alms and offerings to people who have died to, um, they call it the untamed spirits of the wilderness to hungry ghosts. Hungry ghosts are these mythological creatures that have long skinny necks, big mouths and big stomachs, and they're always hungry. They're just dissatisfied with life. And, um, and it's making these offerings, usually what we'll do in the temple is we'll put the, the altar on one side that's the opposite. It's like turning the, the, the whole meditation hall upside down. Um, and we, we have the altar for Sajiki on the opposite side of where the altar usually is. And we have food there and it's for the hungry ghosts. And we have pictures of hungry ghosts that hang on the wall. And these are the, un, the unsatisfied pieces of our spirit, the, the dissatisfied, the restless, the um, tormented sides of our spirit. And it is a hosting. It is a um, giving food making peace with, trying to um, um, invite in. We even do a chant where we invite in, you know, all of our, um, you know, dark karma, if you will, all of the things that we're not satisfied with, the things that are tormented. And that is Sajiki, where we totally invert the Zen, you know, um, temple, and we invite in the hungry ghosts. And we invite in the spirits of the untamed wilderness and all of the tormented sides of ourselves. And you can take that literally like some folks do, or you can take it figuratively and it's just a personal exercise, which is more where I err on. But the, the principle is the same thing, is it's, can I be spacious around those things that I'm not so happy with? around the side of me that's maybe a little tormented, a little upset, that is dissatisfied. It's like a hungry ghost. You know, it's always chasing, trying to get satisfied. And I'm sure that everybody in this room can understand and relate to what it's like to not being satisfied. I really tried to do this and I tried to do that. And it just, it didn't, yeah, it didn't, either it didn't last or, yeah, I don't know what's going on here, but it's not working. And having an attitude of hosting, um, and that's Sajiki, um, not going to war. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, um, could you raise a child with a voice in your head? Could you raise a child with a voice in your head? And... Is it, a, is it a voice when, you know, everyone knows what it's like to do something that you wish you didn't do, and then you blurt out something, you know, and you might even, you know, say something to yourself or call yourself a name or whatever, you know, but um, what would it be to be understanding with the baby in the frozen food aisle and just rock the baby? 
knowing that getting mad about it isn't going to change it. And you didn't make any project plan to be that way. But what if you were spacious around it? Not approving. That's a different, that's a different term, but just spacious, just kind of like, hmm, okay. Okay, that's what we're dealing with. Hosting. The second thing is around building a healthy relationship with the, with the shadow side would be loving who you are, semicolon, who am I? <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, what is it that I'm actually loving? You know, I mean, you've probably heard the, the term, you know, love yourself or um, loving who you are. But here's a concept. Oftentimes when I'm not some way that I think I should be, and let's just, for lack of a better um, example, just say angry. Let's say I've got a, a problem with anger and I wish I wasn't angry. And in my head, I oftentimes think, you know, I, I wish what I could do is I wish that I could just be a surgeon and I could go in and I could just cut out that part of me that's angry and take it out and sew myself back up and then not be angry person. But this thing about who am I is that all of these things that make us up, they're there for a reason, and they're tied to things that are really deep down, and they're in every molecule of our body. You would kill the patient if you did surgery. They won't be extracted. They are a part of our DNA. They're a part of us. They're a part of our habitual ways of being but we're not fixed properties. So the way that we look at this with Zen practice is like channeling, like a river. So let's say I'm that angry person and I, and I work with that and I host that and I pay attention to that. And maybe I even need to go to anger management classes and maybe I need to seek professional help. But if I approach it like I'm going to war with myself, that is the problem. I'm not going to explain it to the baby how it shouldn't be the way that it is. And I can't criticize the baby for being the way that it is, but I can rock the baby and I can pay attention to it. And I can notice the nuances of why it comes up and I can try to find ways in which I can better calm but it can be channeled like a river and a person that might have a problem with anger might over time become a person that's just a lot more passionate. They're probably not going to morph into a person that's really passive and doesn't really have an opinion about anything. That probably isn't who that person is going to be through many, many, many years of practice, but they might end up channeling those things and integrating. And that's the kind of the key word is integrating that energy which for whatever reason was turned into anger. And over time, it might be something where the person is really um, active and really passionate and maybe um, provides good energy for a group and can really um, help you know, get things off the ground and get them started and keep them going and can be a really passionate person. There's ways in which each of these things might over time be channeled. Now, we didn't choose this. And that's the other thing, like we were talking about before. Nobody sits there on like a beautiful day on their, uh, you know, in a, in a park bench and they're going to go to their favorite restaurant and they're going to meet their best friend. And they just say to themselves, you know, I think I'm going to get pissed. Okay. 
on the count of three, one, two, there I go. You know, where does, where, where do these things come from? You're just riding Muni and all of a sudden you're just like, why'd that person do that? You know, or you're just like, oh, I'm really anxious. I forgot about that thing or what, you know, these things just come out of seemingly nowhere. You didn't choose this. And if we own it in a way as though, you know, we've summoned these things, um, it's really, really hard to host them. It's really hard to be um, spacious. You know, it's like if um, the, one of the best examples I think is choking, you know, you, you swallow something that, um, you know, is, um, you know, a chicken bone or something that's too big or whatever. And, you know, most of the time when you swallow something, and you start to choke, you know that there's actually plenty of room for that to either be coughed up or go down or for air to pass. People can choke on very small things. The reason that they can choke on very small things is that they tense up around it and the, the muscles contract around the object that is being caught. And then a, a bit of a panic ensues, you know, like, oh my God, I can't get air into me, you know, and then you tighten even more. You know, that's a physical example of going to war with yourself. You know, if you were perfectly practiced around choking, maybe you would have something in your throat and you could just like really relax around it, you know? Now that would be something that we would not practice in Zen, way too dangerous. But I'm just saying that for example's sake, um, the reason that people find that folks choke is because the throat tightens. And oftentimes it's, it's amazing in the ER, the stuff that they found people have choked on, um, really small things. But for whatever reason, a panic ensued. And so not going to war with ourselves and being there and realizing, okay, this is what's going on. Can I be spacious? Can I rock the baby? Because you know what? If, if, if people are spacious with that baby, and if they aren't too critical, and if they make room for them, over time, the baby starts to calm down. It might not become a totally different type of baby, but it starts to calm down. It starts to settle. And what happens when we calm down and we settle? We're less, we're less reactionary. We learn better. We hear other people much better. We're better able to see what's going on. In a sense, we're able to be with and be who we really are and not be someone who is stirred up by a whole lot of um, fears, anxieties, defensiveness, worry. Now our daily practice with this in Zen is what we were just doing when we started all of this, which is Zazen. Zazen is sitting right in the middle of everything that comes up. And I was joking when I said, when I first came here, I was really bad at Zazen. You can't be bad at Zazen if you're trying to do Zazen. You're just sitting there and you're like, hmm, like one person commented earlier, I'm a little rusty today. Or this was really great. It felt good. I calmed down. Or man, just anxieties kept running through my head and I was thinking about that thing at work. Whatever's going on for you, the courage to sit there and be with it is Zazen. And you're just sitting there and being with what's coming up. And that's why 
you know, sometimes Zazen is really great and sometimes it's not really great um, in regard to maybe enjoyment, but um, that's just what the universe is, is delivering today. And the practice with the shadow side, like when I, when I interrupted in and gave that prompt about um, if something's coming up that you're averse to, um, how do we hold it? You know, it's really difficult if you're right in the middle of a heated situation and you're thinking, oh, wait a second, now I should learn how to hold this thing. It's much easier to practice by yourself on a cushion with a blank wall with no one bothering you. And that's why we do this daily practice is to get um, accustomed to being with the things that come up for us. And so this thing comes up and I'm sitting on my cushion and it's that thing that person said in that meeting three days ago. And that person always says this thing and, you know, and I think they've got it in for me or whatever, but all that really happened was just their face popped up and I had like a body twinge, that's it. And so I practice just being there with that because it's much, much easier to just deal with that by myself sitting on a cushion rather than in the middle of like a, uh, a meeting room at work. But no, I'm just sitting on my cushion doing my daily practice of being with what is going on with this person in this body in this moment. And all the things that come up that we're averse to, all the things that we wish didn't come up during Zazen or the thoughts that come up, you know, boy, that was a terrible thought or that was a real evil thought or whatever, you know, um, or why am I so scared or you know, whatever it is that comes up for us. Can I just be there with it and hold the baby? Can I be spacious around it? Can I be understanding? Can I not go to war? Can I not tense up around it? and choke? Can I not sit there in Zazen and think, man, I can't wait until that thought goes away so I can get back to the real Zazen stuff. I can get back to being calm. I can't wait until that thought goes away. No, that thought is the Zazen stuff. That is what's happening right now. Suzuki Roshi, who was the founder of this temple, came over here from Japan. He had this statement that said, um, you are all perfect just as you are. And each of you could use a little improvement. And he's talking about our true nature and who we are. And we are really aligned with the universe. And we could also deal with our shadow side and learn the things that keep us from actually living our life. And so with some tendencies that are on our shadow side, there might be need to seek professional help. No doubt. No doubt. Zen gives us a set of tools for dealing with what we are averse to. And we can learn to integrate our faults and weaknesses so that we are more whole through this daily acceptance practice. Zen gives us a tools for dealing with what we are averse to. And we can learn to integrate our faults, like we we're talking about integrating anger or that river, integrating our faults and weaknesses so that we're more whole through a daily acceptance practice. We always transition things in Zen with bells. So I brought a bell. And it just feels like, okay, now we're, now we can actually move on to the next thing. So, um, anyhow, 
Um, this is the Q&A section. And um, if you all have um, thoughts, um, questions, um, impressions, anything that you want to um, share, um, you can raise your hand physically or you 